0: Hey all. Because of how much time it takes for us to prepare for our annual conference, lately we've been reusing more content than normal. The show you're about to hear was originally aired as part of our series called The Church Addicted, where we were asking the question, how did the church get to the place where it's full of people addicted to sexual sin? If you haven't heard any of these shows, please visit purityforlife.com and look for episodes 345 to 350. Oh, and just FYI, next week we'll begin a brand new series looking at how to live a life of real victory.
1: Something must change. That's what repentance is all about. We turn away from the devil's kingdom, and we now join ourselves with God's kingdom. And We take on a whole new value system, and we identify ourselves with the purposes of God.
0: Do not love the world, nor the things in the world, John wrote. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And James said that whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These scriptures are very clear, and yet, They are often ignored, disobeyed, and even sometimes renounced by the evangelical church as being out of step with reality. But God's word has not changed, and love for this world is a chief reason why the church is addicted. In this third episode in our series, The Church Addicted, we're going to examine the biblical call to be in the world, but not of it, and how to do that in real life. This is Purity for Life. more relevant message for the church today than this, that believers must come out from the godless culture around us and lead lives of separation and holiness in the world today. In this segment from our archives, Mike Johnston and Pure Life's founder, Steve Gallagher, look at what the New Testament says about this great biblical call.
2: I'm talking with Steve Gallagher. Steve is the founder of Pure Life Ministries. Steve, thanks for coming in. It's great to see you again. Good to be here again, Mike. Steve, as we continue our discussions today on your book, Intoxicated with Babylon, in that book, one of the key messages was the need for God's people to separate themselves from the unbelieving world around them. Talk to us first about how that played itself out in the Old Testament times. One
1: of the great expectations God had of His people in the Old Testament times was that they remained separate from the pagan nations around them, the Canaanites, the Amorites, and so on, because those nations were totally given over to devil worship. But not just that. It was also their lifestyles were very ungodly and carnal. And so the nation of Israel was like an island. That's the way that Jehovah foresaw it, and that his presence would prevail in that land and amongst that people and then from there, then they would be able to export that godliness to the heathen nations around them. Okay, how did that change then as we move into the New
2: Testament times?
1: When we come into the New Testament, everything changed at Calvary. Obviously, Jesus Christ, his death was the sacrifice for man's sin. We no longer had to go through the sacrificial system and all of that. But that did not end God's expectation of his people to be separated unto his purposes. The difference now would be that instead of them being a people who were physically separated by national borders, now God's people were going to be living amongst the unsaved. And yet in their hearts, And this is the great change from the Old Testament to the New. Instead of things being outward, now they were going to be inward. And so in the New Testament times, God's people were expected to remain separate from the world in their hearts. Mm
2: -hmm. Now, Steve, so often what we see amongst uh, professing Christians today is that they have made some response to the call of God and yet they're still living with one foot, as you put it, in the devil's kingdom and trying to live one foot in God's kingdom. What does the Word of God tell us about that?
1: Well, actually, the Greek is very clear on this subject. It really is, and I'm not sure why it hasn't been brought out more by others, but uh, for instance... The word hagios, which is the word we see for saints throughout the New Testament, it literally means separated ones, set-apart ones, holy ones. That's what the word means, and that's what a believer is supposed to be, a separated one, separated from the unsaved world around them. And then also, not only that, the same concept is transferred to the corporate body of these separated ones, and I'm talking about the Greek word for church, which is ecclesia, and that comes from the combining of the two words ek which means out of, and kletos, which means called. So in other words, the church literally means, in the Greek, that term literally means called out ones. So again, this idea is reinforced with that word as well.
2: Steve, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul goes into some significant detail about what it really means to live as a separated Christian. And you bring out of that passage three commandments. Uh, Let's go through those. I think that'll help folks to understand really what it means to be a separated Christian. And you start out uh, the first commandment, get out of unequal yokes.
1: Yeah, and this one is one of those things where people get themselves into relationships with unbelievers that really are only going to drain them spiritually and lead them astray. For instance, a young Christian girl marries an unbelieving boyfriend. Now, we all know stories where God has used it for good, and the boy ends up getting saved, and they live happily ever after. But we should never take one of those exceptions and use it to dismiss the wisdom and even the commandment in God's Word. When he says, do not be unequally yoked, we need to
2: take that commandment seriously. Steve, how do we reconcile that command with our responsibility to be a witness? I mean, we are, after all, in this world.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point, Mike. We are to be a light to an unbelieving world. But there's a difference between having a loose association with unbelievers, uh, you know, unbelieving family members and co-workers and so on, where you can live out the Christian life before them and they can see Christ through your life. That's one thing. But to be in close, intimate relationships with unbelievers, that's another matter. And I think that's the difference between the two. Okay, the second command that you took out of that
2: passage from Paul was, your lifestyle must change.
1: The implication... There, Mike, is that before they came to Christ, they were part of this ungodly world. In fact, Paul had written to the Ephesians, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. But when we come to Christ, something must change. That's what repentance is all about. We repent of, we turn away from the devil's kingdom, and we now join ourselves with God's kingdom. And We take on a whole new value system and we identify ourselves with the purposes of God. Any part of our lifestyle that still reflects that old worldly mentality must change. Okay, the third command was to decontaminate yourself. Paul told the Corinthians in this passage, Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Again, this is another direct reference to the contaminating influences of this fallen world around us. And, you know, the picture of it is in the Old Testament times when you got around a, a leper's house. Let's say you had to go in that house for some reason, and the idea is don't touch anything because you're going to become terribly contaminated. And it's that same kind of uh, mentality, I believe, that Paul had when he's telling these Greek believers that, that they need to separate themselves from the ungodly world around them and don't become involved with it because you will be contaminated by it. Mm.
2: You know, as you're sharing that, Steve, I mean, what just becomes real to us is that in the church today, we're not hearing this kind of preaching. We're not hearing this kind of message that we have to take these things seriously.
1: I know, and I believe the reason for that is because so much of the church has already become so immersed in this world, in, in the pagan culture in which we live. I think for most Christians, the culture is much bigger in their minds and in their hearts than the kingdom of God. But nevertheless, these commandments are still there, you know. For instance, not long ago I was in a hotel and I watched some television, something I rarely have the opportunity to do and rarely do. But I I was just flipping through the channels trying to find a decent channel, something like the History Channel or whatever, and just in one go-round through the channels, I saw just unbelievable things. And what occurred to me later was, this is what Christians are immersing themselves with every night, practically. They are contaminating themselves with the immoral values of this world. Hmm. And let's not forget, Satan is called the prince of this world.
2: I think one of the things that uh, was very encouraging to me, Steve, in reading this chapter and that I think will help folks to understand the long-term goal of God wanting us to come out from this world is that we really need to have an eternal perspective because we do have a home that we're going to there is a reason god is wanting to prepare us in this way
1: yeah i mean it sounds like a totally negative message that we're talking about but there is a purpose behind it the the purpose is to separate ourselves from the world for what for god because he is calling a people out unto himself jesus is calling a bride out to himself And he's not going to have a bride with other lovers. And the eternal ramifications of that love affair are just so astounding, they're beyond our comprehension. Steve Gallagher, thanks for talking to us about
2: God's call to come out. Amen.
0: So this call to separate is an essential part of biblical Christianity. But for those who've been influenced by the church addicted, it's easy to minimize the clear commands of scripture I'd like to play a conversation that Mike Johnston had with former Pure Life Director of Counseling Brad Fergus and Pure Life co-founder Kathy Gallagher. They dive into this contrast between a worldly-minded and a heavenly-minded believer.
2: Brad Fergus has joined us in the studio. Brad is the director of our counseling programs here at Pure Life Ministries. Brad, thanks for coming in to talk with us. Thanks for having me, Mike. Brad, we want to talk today about the call from the Lord to separate from the world. I know that a lot of people, when they look at maybe the men or the women that come into our programs that are dealing with sexual sin, they're just beside themselves, shocked even. Well, how do people get involved with stuff like this? And, you know, really, (laughs) to me, the real question is why don't more people get involved with it when you consider the kind of society we live in? Mm
3: -hmm. Mike, what comes to my mind is that in our society today, there are billboards, Mm quote-unquote, everywhere. For young people, whether it's the internet, Walmart, classroom, there are billboards everywhere, not only showing pictures of illicit sex, but verbiage and imagery, which Mm -hmm. for the most part will communicate to a young person or to people, period, in our society that sex outside of marriage is okay. have as much sex as you want to. Sexual sin won't really catch up with you. It won't destroy your life or your marriage. You take, for instance, a 14-year-old. 14-year-old guy, I'm sure, when he gets his hand on some pornography, just like the best thing going, as he first gets introduced to it, it's great. He's pulled into that. But that little guy has no idea what's going to happen to him down the road.
2: Well, even before the pornography, you know, he's really been primed right? for it. He's going to school. He's hearing his peers talk about sex. He's seeing it on television. How many hours of television do our teenagers watch? Mm-hmm. He's watching MTV. He's hearing it on the radio, magazines. MySpace. You know, everything. Yeah. Everything he's YouTube. looking at is priming yeah, him yeah, for the oh, enemy's yeah. trap just to be sprung. That one time where he's on the internet when no one else is around and he just happens even out of curiosity where he may go himself or maybe he clicks on one of these innocuous looking links on the internet that has nothing to do with pornography but very often these days is linked to a pornographic site Mm -hmm. and there the enemy triggers that trap and he's been primed already to fall into that pit.
4: Even if a young boy didn't have all of that in his life, isn't it? I mean, I'm not a boy, so you guys tell me, but, but don't we'll we noticed, 14. We noticed you weren't a boy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> a 14-year-old boy is ready to go, mm. right? And so it doesn't That's take true. much. All he needs is an image. So if he has all that prep and pornography thrown in front of him, there is no stop sign in this boy. He's going to go for it. I mean, I can't imagine any 14-year-old child that's been primed this way with his hormones raging, having the wherewithal to say no.
3: You're saying primed makes me think that this 14-year-old boy has been in trouble since he was maybe 9 or 10. Mm.
4: Well, the average age
3: of exposure to pornography now is 8 years
2: old. But, you know, this is not something new. I mean, even Paul... When he was talking to the Corinthian church, the Corinthians lived in a very sexualized culture. It was a little different than ours today, more related to some of the pagan worship at the time, but still a very sexualized culture, and Paul warned them to keep from falling into sexual sin.
3: Yeah, he sure did. 2 Corinthians 6, he actually says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty.
2: So God really has called Christians to be separate from the world. But in today's American church, we don't take that very seriously, do we?
3: I believe overall there is a delusion that if you go to church, if you are involved in your local church, that makes you separate or different. But Mm. in the final analysis, when you break down the daily life of the typical American Christian, you would see them doing the same things that Mm. people who are unsaved.
4: You know, in this verse, there's a conditional promise in here. Mm. God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people if. You know, Mm -hmm. there's an if in there, and that makes it a conditional promise. So if you're honest with yourself and you start asking yourself hard questions, you eventually come to the place where you realize this is the standard. This is what the Lord has laid out. This is what he said we are to do. This is how we separate ourselves from the world. And that's the standard, not do we go to church twice in the week? Do we pay our tithes? Because those things are outward things, but what's really going on in in your heart? Mm -hmm. And who are you? That's what this speaks to me, When I read this, it's like, who are you really as a Christian, and what are you doing with your life, and are you really separated? It's got to begin with your heart. You can do all the outward stuff, but if you're not separated in your heart, it's going to be very hard to maintain a separated outward life as well.
2: And what is the purpose of our lives? I know many Christians, they'll read those verses, and they see them as a list of do's and don'ts. You know, keep the rules, keep the law. Here we are living by the law again. Mm -hmm. But the real motivation here is if I want that relationship with the Lord, then these are the things that I don't want in my life because they get in the way of that relationship.
4: Right.
3: Right. And God's goal for our lives is that we would glorify him in every area of of our lives, with our bodies, with our lives, with our time, with whatever we're doing. As saints, we are to live as strangers and pilgrims in the earth, as it says in Hebrews 11. And we are to keep seeking the things that are above for our citizenship is in heaven. We are supposed to be eagerly waiting for the Savior. But if we are allowing the world to dictate to us how we live, Mm -hmm. we're not eagerly waiting for the Savior. I like what A.W. Tozer said. He said, men think of the world not as a battleground, but as a playground. Mm -hmm. We are not here to fight. We are here to frolic. We are not in a foreign land. We are at home. We're not getting ready to live. We are already living, Mm. and the best we can do is rid ourselves of our inhibitions and our frustrations and live this life to the full. Mm. It really is a lack of an eternal perspective, isn't it? Right.
2: We're just focused on the here and now, and that is, you know, I mean, let's just be fair about it. That is the American
3: way of life.
4: Yeah, it's true.
3: Right, and just an understanding of of life and and circumstances. For the most part, the mindset is worldly. Everything that happens is focuses more on the world and not on well, what is God doing? What is behind what's going on in our world? And Christians are living without an eternal perspective, you know. And I know God has been working that into me over the years because I didn't see God has a plan. God's doing something. His kingdom is coming to this earth, and Christians need to live like that. But For the most part, as a collective whole, we don't. We're we're asleep. We're not sober and awake and looking forward to Jesus returning and doing what he's wanting to do in the last days.
4: Well, you know, that's what a love of the world does, though. It chokes out the love for God. Yes. I just think about the deplorable lack of hunger For God's word in many people and why they end up in habitual sexual sin or habitual gambling or habitual overeating is because God and his word are not real to them because the love of all kinds of things have choked out the love of the word of God. But if people would get into it, you know, if you just like would give God an opportunity, take, you know, do some radical stuff to yourself, separate yourself for a period of time and, Mm. and get real with God and let him deal with you for a month. Just cut off the world and get with God and get before his word. I really believe something would happen for people.
2: Kathy, you mentioned the things that choke out God's word. and I want to read this quote from David Wilkerson. He wrote this back in 1970, and we're about to step on somebody's toes here, I know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The people that I know, we're about to step on your toes. The effects of television. This was written in 1970. Satan is succeeding through television in a way not possible by any other kind of demonic invasion. Through that speaking idol, he can accomplish in this generation what he accomplished in Eden. But the sodomites are in now, in our homes, and we are now the blinded ones. Homosexual writers, actors, and producers flaunt their evil right before our eyes. And admit it or not, you and all your home are under a demotic sodomite attack. Yeah. That was back in 1970 yeah. when television was still relatively tame. Television is having a horrific impact on the spiritual lives of Christians in America.
4: Yeah, and we harp on this day and night when Steve and I are out speaking. I just did a a conference in Indianapolis a couple months ago, and I probably spent half an hour railing on TV and the effects of television and what it's doing to God's people. And, you know, I don't want to come across legalistic. I certainly don't want to come across self-righteous. But I want to say unequivocally that television for the Christian is wrong. Cable television, network television, that medium coming in from the world for a Christian to sit down in front of that for a couple of hours a night, an hour a night, whatever it is, to sit there and listen to the world's message and question why they don't have a dynamic connection with God. It's just, I, it, I struggle with it. I have a hard time understanding where believers are at with where they're at. It's like David Wilkerson said, and I'll paraphrase it, you're letting the devil speak to you in right. your own home.
3: And in a passive way. Yes, right. Just, very bad. just sitting there soaking in the world's message. And the thing with a lot of television is it doesn't look that bad.
4: Yeah, that's right. But
3: throughout a, a program, there are images that are going to be shot at different times. There's a message. Those people that are presenting these programs are typically godless people who mm-hmm. want to push their agenda. And who do you think are inspiring them other than Lucifer himself? That's right. But you, you know why it doesn't look
2: bad, Brad, is because of the desensitization of the viewer. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Now, I've gone into ministry and fallen back into sin, and and now the Lord has done a work in my heart. But I remember years ago, when I first walked away from the gay community, I stopped watching television for three years. And when I came back, I was shocked Mm -hmm. by what was on television. Mm -hmm. What had happened is that I had become sensitized once again. My Mm -hmm. conscience had become sensitized by the Holy Spirit. I would venture to say that the Christians out there now that don't think television is bad, it's simply because... They're uh, numb. They've become
3: corrupted by what they're watching.
4: Yeah, that's, that's very true. The world corrupts, and they have been corrupted.
3: Desensitized, and, and so that leads to uh, they're deadened spiritually, and they don't have mm-hmm. a, hunger, a hunger for the Lord at all, and so they're kind of walking around as zombies, mm-hmm. you know, waiting for someone to give them a word or something to resuscitate them. Right. And I would like to say, too, that you look at television— the television is playing out all the deeds of the flesh yeah. day in and day out, day That's in true. and day out. And those are the things that will separate you from a relationship with God, the deeds of the flesh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've had friends and even relatives share with me about television, and they insist that they can handle it. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I just know this is just a show or this is just a program. But I, I want to say if anyone's out there that thinks that way, yeah, it is just a show, just a program. But the spirit of the world is getting infiltrated into your heart and your mind and your being and it is desensitizing you more and
4: more. And it is God's enemy.
3: Yeah, and I was going (laughs) to say, one of the evidences of how powerful
2: it is, is the billions of dollars that advertisers spend Mm -hmm. to have their products on those programs. They know how powerful that medium is or they wouldn't be spending the money. Right. They know they're influencing you. (laughs)
4: Right. (laughs) Right. That's right. And
2: getting it, you to do things you wouldn't
3: otherwise do.
2: Yes, <laughs> and once again, priming Christians for what for many is the trap that the enemy triggers, and that is the internet.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's I was a biggie. <laughs> thinking about the internet today, Mike, and um I had a little word picture. I know you like word pictures, so I'm gonna bring one. <laughs> well, I'm kinda <laughs> simple. I need them to understand things. So <laughs> I just I remember as a kid, I grew up in Virginia on the farm and I remember Doing all sorts of experiments with, with animals and insects. And I used to torture them sometimes. Nice. Um, but <laughs> I remember. You're one sick individual. <laughs> yeah. You're in the well, right thank place. Thank you. <laughs> told, well, God's still working in an intern you program. <laughs> I, told yeah. you I was in the intern program. <laughs> but um, I remember watching um, a spider's web. And I would, you know, sometimes I would put grasshoppers on the web. But a lot of times, you know, something would fly by and then that spider would jump out. Guess bite the thing and then wrap it up real quick. Okay, I admit it. I enjoyed watching that too. (laughs) (laughs) But I really, it just made me think of the internet how now it's gotten so you have to use the internet. Mm -hmm. Right. And so for many, I know for maybe millions of people, because they had to use the internet for something or was part of school or everybody else has it, they got on the internet and they got caught in the web. And Mm -hmm. then the enemy has come out got them entangled in it, and now they, they can't get out of it. Yeah. It's just the, the mm. picture that I had. Pastors, Christians who maybe they struggled with some temptation but never thought of going and getting pornography, mm. now they're able to access it at click of the finger right You know, in their office or somewhere and how the enemy has taken the Internet, and he is just... Tearing up the body of Christ. Oh yeah, and he is—he's successful at doing it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, we started our discussion today, Brad, talking about God's call for God's people to separate themselves from the world. How important is it that Christians in the body of Christ, especially those who may be struggling with the sensuality of the culture or with a particular temptation, how important is it that they really get serious and drastic about? practical ways to separate themselves.
3: Well, I think that in this dark hour that we're living in, it's time for them to wake up. It's time for them to grow up. <laughs> yeah. And it's time for them to take a stand and say, you know what? I am not going to let the enemy in this world take me any farther away from God. I'm not going to let the enemy destroy my home and destroy my church. These are some things Jesus has made it clear in his word how we should live our life. We have the word of God to instruct us how to make the separation, how to make the cut, how to do drastic things that are necessary so that we can live a holy and a godly life. But it takes courage. Yeah. yeah, It does. To the degree that you have given over in some way to the world or to some sin, to that degree, it's going to be a battle to fight out of it. But mm-hmm. it's worth it. It yeah. really is in the, in the end. And the enemy wants you to believe that There's no way you can give up your internet access Mm -hmm. and there's no way you can put a filter on your computer and slow it down so much. Yes, you can. (laughs) You can do it. And probably if we look at our lives, many of us who are on the internet, we could cut out a lot of the things that we surf that could trip us up in some way. But I was thinking this morning as well, the internet has been set up in such a way it's almost creating a a scenario like cell phones, like you can't live without it. Mm -hmm. You can sense it. It's like uh, there are times when when we lose Internet access. Everyone's in a panic. Oh, my Internet's not up. Like (laughs) the world is going to stop. The whole office shuts down. (laughs) Go home. Go home. Internet's (laughs) down.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, Brad, it sounds like we really have to, and I think Tozer said it well, we have to come to the realization that this world for the Christian is not a playground. Yeah, right. we're not here to see how much of the flesh we can indulge. Uh, it really is a battleground. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we are going to have to, if I can use the analogy of a fish, we're going to have to swim upstream.
3: Upstream, and exactly. we're going to
2: have to do things that, to maybe the average Joe, seems a little,
3: uh, a little radical. If you're not separated from the world, not only are you going to suffer, but Multitudes around you are going to suffer because people in this dark hour, young people, old people, they need to see a true witness. And if you have not divorced yourself from this world, you're not going to be able to effectively represent Jesus. Okay, you've come to the Lord years ago and you were on fire for him. You've gotten off track. It's time to wake up because there are multitudes the Lord wants to reach through your life and it's, it's vital in this hour that we just unplug from the world. I think it would be a good idea for us to just <laughs> go through our lives and just do a check and say, okay, mm-hmm. this needs to go. Okay, this this is useless. This is taking me away from the Lord. I'm spending too much time doing this when I could be praying for people and pressing into God and growing closer to Him.
2: There is hope. There is hope. And does, God does give us hope that if, we, as Kathy, you said earlier, if we'll separate ourselves If we'll consecrate ourselves to the Lord. He does want to have that relationship with us. And I'm so glad that you said what you said, not only for our sake, Mm -hmm. but for the sake of others around us, maybe our children, maybe Mm -hmm. our loved ones. You never
4: know who's watching.
2: That, as you said, need to see a true witness, someone truly filled with the love of Christ as opposed to being filled with the things of the world. Right. Mm
4: -hmm. It's true.
0: Amen. Brad Fergus, thanks so much. Thank you, Mike. One of the most blatant ways the spirit of this world seeks to keep Christians enmeshed in its mindset is through entertainment. A couple of months ago, I sat down with one of our biblical counselors to talk about a message I gave to the students in our residential program along these lines. I want to play that for you now.
5: Nate Dancer is the director of ministry outreach for Pure Life Ministries. And he's joined us in the studio today to discuss an important subject for Christians who want to maintain their walk with the Lord and remain free from sin in their lives. Welcome, Nate. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Nate, you delivered a message to our men in chapel that I believe had great impact on them. And I'm not going to give the title because I want you to do that. But to get us started, I want you to introduce our listeners to the subject of amusement, what the word means, how it relates to living a separated life.
0: Yeah, I was preparing for a message one time, and I, as I was praying, I started thinking about this word and this concept of amusement. The word muse is not very commonly used today, but It means to be absorbed in thought, um, to think about something carefully and thoroughly, and I think by extension that those thoughts would deeply impact the way the life is actually lived. And we see this concept in scripture. I was thinking about Colossians where it says, if you have been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above where Christ is. And that whole passage is about uh, the putting off of our old sin nature and the putting on of the nature of God. But the way, one of the ways that that happens is to think deeply and to set our minds on the things of God, the things of Christ. And so if you take then the word amuse, and if you put the prefix ah in front of muse, it means to not think, to not consider. And it began to strike me that American culture is obsessed with amusement. And in the message, I outlined what could be the typical day of an American or even American Christian. You wake up, you listen to your favorite music, or you check Facebook and social media. You get in the shower and you turn on a radio station or online radio station or a podcast. You are on your way to work and you listen to an audio book. Then you get to work and you've got music playing throughout your whole day. At the end of the day, you go out to dinner and, you, and the TV's on. Then maybe you go out to a movie with some friends, you go home, you go to sleep with Spotify on, and then you wake up and you do the whole thing again tomorrow. Our culture is obsessed with amusement. And unfortunately, this culture of amusement is utterly in opposition to the spirit of Jesus and the Christian life you cannot be a christian and live your life that way because that is in contradiction to the the clear commands of scripture that we set our minds on things above and we cannot do that if our life is filled with amusement so the title of the message then is satan is extremely amusing
5: so you're saying that one of the schemes of satan and we're told in scripture that we are not unaware of his devices. He's trying to occupy our minds with the things of this world that pull us away from the things of God. What really is behind this scheme of Satan?
0: Well, I'm reminded of the parable of the seed and the sower, because in the parable of the seed and the sower, you have a type of soil which is called thorny ground. And Jesus tells us that the thorny ground uh, hearers are those who hear the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things choke out the word so that it doesn't bring any fruit to maturity. So I believe that the culture of amusement is all designed to keep people who are professing Christians from bringing fruit to maturity, which destroys the harvest of God that he wants to see in both that person's life and in other people's lives. Because the Word of God, it talks about sowing the Word of God. The Word of God are thoughts and ideas and concepts that when planted in a good and an honest heart begin to change the actual life to conform with the word of God. So when Jesus says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, if, we are, if our lives are filled with other things, we don't have time to do that. When he says, seek first the kingdom of God, if our time and our energy and our desires are taken up with the things of the world, we cannot fulfill that commandment, which ends up destroying the harvest. And so I believe that the whole culture of amusement in America is designed to do exactly that, to destroy what could be a fruitful harvest.
5: I appreciate very much your use of that parable. Talk to me about the kinds of things that would be thorns in a Christian's life. What is it in our culture that grows up around us and chokes out our life in God? Give me some examples.
0: It seems to me from what Jesus says, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, that some of those things are inherently harmful. I mean, pornography would obviously be a thorn, or I'm not even sure you'd call that a thorn. I think that's just poisonous seed that bears a harvest of wickedness. But Newspapers, magazines, television, social media, the internet, all of these things I believe would easily fit within the category of the desires for other things or the cares of this life. Just I mean, think of I I I recognize this in my own life, okay? So this is not like I'm immune from this or I've completely overcome, but What happens to us when we've got something that we want to do and a need arises? I've got my favorite TV show scheduled for 7.30 and suddenly someone calls me and they're in need. What happens in our heart? Does the need take second place? Because if the need of that other person takes second place to our favorite TV show, then that is a thorn that is quenching and keeping the Word of God from bearing a harvest in our lives. Or if we somehow um, organize things that are important around all of the things that we love that are not eternally important, these are, these are thorns. This is choking out a harvest when the priorities of our lives are things that do not matter
5: you raise an interesting point as it relates to the men who come to pure life. They come seeking freedom from their addiction to sexual sin, which many times is pornography. But we also come to discover that they're addicted to television. They're addicted to movies. They're addicted to video games. They're addicted to social media. They're mm-hmm. addicted to their cell phone. They're mm-hmm. addicted to so many things in their life, and pornography is just one of the many idols yeah. that they worship. Yeah. Respond to that for me.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to rely on some of what Pastor Steve has written, because uh, I wouldn't have seen these things without uh, the aid of the Holy Spirit and also sitting under the the teaching of of him. But... The thing that began to be so clear to me as I read Intoxicated with Babylon and listened to his teachings on the apostasy and various things is that our culture is going in a direction. The, we know what that direction is. The direction and the end of that is the Battle of Armageddon, where the forces of Antichrist come head-to-head with the forces of of Jesus and we know that there's no contest but the enemy has to get the world to to that point and how is he going to do it there have to be practical things in place that bring the world into his mindset and these things are clear to me and clear to him it it is popular culture that is creating the kind of environment where people will eventually rise up against Jesus. Okay, but let's bring this down to the practical level because that's like the cosmic kind of <laughs> level and not and most people aren't living there. Um, the mindset of the enemy is pleasure at any cost. And when we are feeding our souls and our minds with his mindset through television and social media and, uh, and movies and music, we really don't get to determine what kind of fruit that is going to have in our lives. When we take in his mindset, his life is going to find expression in our life, and sometimes that's going to mean pornography. A lot of people don't want the fruit but they want the seed meaning they want the movies and the music and the television and the social media what they're what they are opposed to is the fruit that comes from that kind of life, which is addiction to pornography. And we have to, we have to teach people, and I had to have this in my life, that it's the love of the world that is making it possible for pornography to flourish in your life. If the love of the world is rooted out, then the pornography will go. But until you deal with the root, you cannot find freedom from the fruit. Nate, I'm reminded
5: that in that upper room on the night before the cross, Jesus prayed for his disciples, and he prayed to the Father that his men not be taken out of this world. Mm -hmm. He wants us here to be effective witnesses for him, but we're not to be of the world. Yeah, And he also prayed that we would be protected from the evil one. Now, on a very practical level for our listeners, if they want to be in the world but not of the world, Mm -hmm. what steps do they need to take to live a separated life?
0: Mm -hmm. One of the things that was so helpful for me was being in the residential program because for nine months, I was separated. I didn't have a choice. And it was in that environment of being separated from the world and being separated unto God that some of these things began to become more clear. And I would say to somebody if you are if you're in pornography or in sexual sin and you want to be changed unplug. Unplug from social media, unplug your TV, unplug the music for a space of time and seek the Lord because he will begin to give you his wisdom and his perspectives on things so that when you begin to view some of those things again, you hear the music or you see the TV or whatever it is, you start to hear the message behind those things and that will help you if you're just in it all the time, you cannot see what the enemy is doing in your heart and in your mind. But when you unplug and you begin to soak yourself in the Spirit of God, you start to hear the devil's voice. And if you have wisdom, you'll flee. You've really
5: given us a lot to think about. Uh, I pray that we won't get lost in amusement and misthinking about these things. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming in today.
0: Yeah, no problem. So, has the Church of Jesus Christ simply been swallowed by the culture of the world around it? The answer is no, not completely. But we must fight the battle against assimilation into the godless culture every day. It's this culture that is always trying to wrap us up in its grip and leave us addicted, chained, and ultimately lost. We hope that you have been both challenged by the message of our broadcast today and also encouraged to stay in the fight. That's all for today. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.